Welcome to Passion Life Church. And uh, welcome to church this morning. We're so glad that you're here. And today we're concluding this series that we've entitled Ideal Family. And what a great series it has been. And I just want to tell you, uh, uh, my name is Phil and I'm the lead pastor of Passion Life. And uh, I, I love our church for many, many reasons, but I love our church because we give feedback. And, you know, some of you through Facebook and just even through text have, have really told us how much this series has meant to you and your family. And that blesses us because, you know, we speak in faith up here and we just plant seeds, but sometimes we don't know the harvest that's happening in your lives. And so when you give us some feedback to the website and say, hey, that really helped me, it really encourages us. And had some ladies just say, hey, this is really helping my marriage. And, uh, and, and so just really, really appreciate that feedback. And that's what we want this to be. And we entitled this Ideal Family because we want to close the gap. That's been the goal of the series is to close the gap between the ideal family, the family that we've all dreamed about, that wedding and that marriage that we dreamed about, and then closing the gap on the real life experience that a lot of us are living in uh, today. And so I'm really just excited. And, and let me just kind of give you an infomercial. Easter, the, the message for Easter is just going to really encourage you. And we're going to talk about why the resurrection is so important. Then we're going to head into a season talking about the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Bible says so much about the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to head into another series called Fruitful. We're going to talk about how God wants your life to bear much fruit because it gives him glory. And, and where we're headed, I'm really excited because I believe there's going to be growth in your life. How many of you want to grow? Let, let me see your hands. We want to grow, don't we? Because uh, growth is, is such an important part of God working in us. And today we're going to talk about raising kids. And uh, I believe, you know, if you're single here today, and take some notes because one day, you're going to get married and have kids and maybe you're here and, and you're a grandma, grandpa now and, uh, and you, know, you don't have necessarily kids in your house, but you can take notes today and really help your children raise their children. And I know with grandma and grandpa, when kids come over, there's like no rules, like, right? Because when they're at, at mom and dad's house, they have a strict diet, but when they go over grandma and grandpa's house, it's gummy bears, it's, right, it's ice cream, we fill them up with sugar and then give them back to their parents. Come on, somebody. But maybe this could offer some counsel to help you even with your kids now that are raising uh, kids. And what you're going to find out today, we're going to talk about some, uh, some principles to strengthen you as a parent. But we're also going to talk about, which I think is really important, what to do when kids make bad choices. And I think you're going to find in that, you're going to see how God treats us as his kids when we make some bad choices. Anybody make any bad choices anytime in their life? Don't, don't raise your hands. But we all have. We've all made mistakes. And so today, not only you may be a parent here today, but you're also a child of God. And we have a father. We've been looking at this scripture, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 and 4. And this has been our theme scripture. And it says, through wisdom, everybody say wisdom. Through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant 
riches. Doesn't that sound like a house you would like to live in? And the Bible says that wisdom, wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge. So what builds our house is knowing knowledge. Knowledge is the truth, the the facts, the truth that God says about marriage, the truth that God says about family, understanding the truth, right? And applying that is wisdom. That will build your house. And it says that knowledge fills the room, but then understanding. We've actually had this in the series. We've understood the meaning, right, of what it means. What, what did God plan for husbands, wife, marriage? Last week, why does God say a house divided will not stand in the power of unity? But today, I want to talk about how important our role is as a parent. You know, Psalms chapter 127 verse 3 says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. In the Hebrew, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for heritage means this, a gift. A gift from God, a possession granted by Jehovah. In other words, children are a blessing from the Lord. Now, sometimes they act like boogers. Come on, somebody. But they're blessings. They are blessings from the Lord. And so when we have a child, God is entrusting you with a child that is his. Because he says that before we were even born, he foreknew us. He had a plan and a hope. And so for my son Gavin, God knew Gavin. And so when my wife and I came together in intimacy, he was birthed. But in reality, he is God's child. We talk with our son a lot. He's seven years old, and one of the best times I have found to talk with him is right before he goes to bed because he's already a little tired from the day. And the other night, I just looked at him, and we were talking, and I said, you know, Gav, I said, God has given you to us. And his eyes just kind of looked, and he, I said, you know, I said, buddy, listen, God has given you to us as an incredible responsibility to raise you. That's why mom and dad are trying to do these things because, and his eyes were just big. And, and I said, you know, the reality is, Gav, this isn't just about you and I. Mom and dad are responsible before the Lord to raise you. And he was, it was so quiet in the room because isn't that the truth? That God has given us the privilege, but with every privilege comes a responsibility to raise The child, and they are a blessing for the Lord. And there's two main words that the Bible references when it talks about our responsibility and privilege as parents. And the two words are teach and train. Would you say that with me? Teach and train. Let's say it again. Teach and train. Now, both of these words you can find in the Old Testament, you can find in the New Testament. And teach really has to do with our words. But there's a deeper meaning in the word teach. Really, when you look at the word teach biblically, it talks about teaching them and pointing them into a relationship with God. That's our number one responsibility is for me to point my son into a relationship with God. And the second definition for teach, and it's kind of, it kind of sounds awkward, but it means to pound it in. It means, what does that mean? It means repetitive and consistent. You can read in the Bible where it talks about God tells his people, look at my word day and night, repetitive, be it, be consistent, pound it in, look at my word, right? And he's not talking about physical abuse. He's talking about teaching, but teaching has to do with your words. And can I encourage you today as parents, your words matter to your kids. As a matter of fact, your kids need affirmation. 
They need positive affirmation. Your affirmation and your words are creating the belief system for your kids. What they believe about themselves comes from what you say about them. Where do you get that, Pastor Phil? I get that from how God treated Jesus. When Jesus came to be baptized, do you remember? He came to be baptized and John the, baptized, uh, John the Baptist baptized him. The heavens opened up. And right, we, we, we know that when the heavens opened up, God said something to Jesus. What did he say? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Interesting. Jesus hadn't done one miracle yet. Jesus didn't heal anyone yet. He didn't turn the water into wine. He did nothing yet. All as he did was be God's son. What did God do publicly for Jesus? He affirmed him publicly. Why is this so important? Because we know that Jesus would go from the river baptism into the desert to be tempted from the devil. And guess what I have found? I have found that positive affirmation helps us in overcoming temptation. What was the temptation that Jesus would go through with the devil? The devil would show up and it's the same temptation he gives you and he gives me. It's all about identity. He comes into the desert. Jesus comes into the desert. And what does the enemy say? If you are the son of God, do you think Jesus had identity issues? No. You know why he didn't have identity issues? Because his father affirmed him publicly and said, this is my beloved son whom you are, I am well pleased. Jesus walks into temptation affirmed and his affirmation from God helped him overcome the temptation. Come on, somebody. And I'm telling you, yeah, you can give the Lord a good round of applause. Because our kids need to hear from us who they are, not from the world and the public school and the school that they go to and their friends who they are. They need to hear from mom and dad who they are. And we're going to speak God's life over them. We're going to speak God's identity over them in Jesus' name. And I'm telling you, if you affirm your kids, it'll help them to overcome temptation. You know, the other word that the Bible references when it comes to our responsibility is to train, not only to teach, but to train. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That word train actually means this, to prepare your child for the responsibility of being an adult by modeling for them. It's not just teaching with words. Now, words have power, but it's also by modeling for them what you want to see in them. And the word train actually talks about we're supposed to prepare them for life. We're supposed to prepare them for the responsibility of being an adult. See if you agree with me this morning. I found some things out as an adult. Number one, I don't always get my way. Anybody else? Come on. Anybody? Do I have a witness in the house of God? Right? Is there anybody you get your way all the time? And if you do, pray for me then. Right? Another thing I found out as an adult, things don't always go my way. On the 15 north or south. <laughs> they just don't always go. My, I was telling my, I'm trying to teach my son critical thinking. That means when things are different and things, how to think. Not just, oh, daddy said to do it, so I'm going to do it. I want him to be able to think. And things, you know, I got on the 15 the other day and cars were, and then he's like, dad, that car. I said, son, welcome to life. Life is like this. 
You're going through life and things happen. People are here, people that you didn't see, people, and you have to learn how to have critical thinking. But I've learned things don't always go my way. As a matter of fact, one thing that I've learned as an adult is that I have to be respectful and thankful to people who are giving me a paycheck. I've got to be, I don't know how many people in 22 years of counseling youth, I was a youth pastor for 20 years and counseled families and uh, how many kids lose their job because they don't know respect and they think that life is about entitlement. And uh, when somebody is hiring you or is willing to hire you, you, we are grateful. Come on, somebody. And so when somebody wants to give us a paycheck and pay us for doing something, we need to be thankful for that. But I think one of the things that we have to realize is as we live our lives as parents, what we do, how, what we prioritize. You're going to find out during parenting that more things are caught uh, than taught in life. More things are caught. In other words, you may be saying some things, but your kids are picking up the vibe. They're picking up the attitude, what you prioritize in life. Do you know what you prioritize uh, in life can determine whether you succeed or whether you fail? And here's some of the things that I have found that why even families and marriages fail when it comes to their list of priorities. I hear people say this all the time. My family is my number one priority. Oh, I love my family more than I love anything else. Well, the Bible says in the Ten Commandments that we're not supposed to have any other gods before him. Your family is not your first priority your relationship with Jesus is your first priority. Your first love should be your relationship with Christ, not your family. You see this. I see this even in the church. My wife, you know, I love my wife more than anything. Well, you know what? You're setting yourself up for failure because you're supposed to love God more than anything. And so number one, our first relationship should be with Jesus. Why is that, Pastor Phil? That relationship fuels every other relationship. Now, I know those little blessings are cute. I know when you look. I know, and especially when they're, they're babies and they smell and their little bottoms smell like, <laughs> they smell so good. Oh, they're baby. They're baby's breath. You ever have baby breath? Like, whoo, I love baby's breath. Right? Until they spit up on you. Then it ain't cute anymore. And I get it. But you know what? When I was single, I prayed for someone who would love Jesus more than they would love me. Because I knew if they loved Jesus more than they loved me, they would always love me because they had their priorities straight. And we see this a lot, even in dating. People put their relationship with the opposite sex before their relationship with God. And Jesus is the foundation and the source of our life. And when my vertical relationship with God is healthy, it breathes life into my vertical relationships. But this has got to be, and i got to encourage you today, because I hear this all the time. Well, we don't go to church because it's family. You know, our families first. Can I just tell you, church time is family time. It is family time. We do church as a family. It's a very important thing for us. It's very important for my son because one day he's going to grow up. Do you know what's just so cool right now in Kids Life Central? They're doing small groups. And part of our curriculum there is not only to teach them and show them, but they're breaking down into small groups and talking to each other. Why? It's all about creating a habit in their life that one day, if he is to move out to college, that he understands, I need to get into a small group. Number two, I need to be involved in a church because you know what? That could save his life. 
is the relationships around him. And you know what we're doing? We're starting right here and right now. But I've watched people who say, well, it's always family first. And you know what? They're not in church anymore. And they become distanced. They start to become cold. You know why? Because their God becomes their family instead of God who gave us the family. We are to worship the creator, not the creation. I love family. It is God's creation. But you know what? I don't want to have my priorities mixed up because it will end up affecting the very thing that I love. And one of the things, and I believe one of the reasons why we have a great marriage, not a perfect marriage, but a great marriage is because we keep our priority. Number one, God. Number two, second is the relationship with my spouse. Notice I didn't say my second priority is my relationship with my kids. My second Priority is my relationship with my spouse. You know, Genesis 22, 4 says this, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his kids, to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And listen, the greatest way to love our kids is by investing in your marriage. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that priority and how we prioritize our kids. And then after, listen, after God, spouse, the third is our relationship with our kids. I want to give you some simple practical things today and how to strengthen you as a parent. Here's four simple principles I think that will help you succeed. And here's number one. Are you glad you came to church this morning? Here's number one. As a couple, as a married couple, we must have a united front. Always. Now listen, can I just encourage you, if you're single here today, you need to talk at some point about kids. But can I encourage you, don't do it on the first date. Don't do it on the first date. Nah, you'll be a creeper, okay? Let's, let's just not do that. But at some point in the relationship, as you're headed to, right, because there's only two places a relationship is headed, right, if you're single. It's either going to be headed towards marriage or headed towards breakup. There's just, there's just no middle ground. You, you're, you're going somewhere, and if you're not going somewhere, you are wasting your time. That's what I love about my wife. Second date, she looked at me right in the eyes and she said, I do not want to waste my time. Is this going to get serious or it's not? I'm like, this is my kind of woman. I love it. She's like, I'm not here to play games. I was like, whoa, you telling me, preach, girl, right? And I loved it because I didn't want to play games either. And so we knew that we weren't going to waste our time. And so I think it's, it's really important, even as single people, that at some point you talk about kids. You talk about you if you want kids. You know, I had dated a girl before, um, and when we had this conversation, she said, you know what, I don't, I don't want to have kids. She said, I do not want to mess up my body to have a child. I thought, whoa. I said, well, we're not going to be able to be together anymore because I, I would like a kid. You know, dogs won't do. I know some of you think they're human, but listen, a dog will not replace a child. And so, you know, um, I met Val. And can I just tell you guys, we need to be thankful that our wives have our kids and that they sacrifice their body and their shape to have your child. I thought I'd get a better amen from the ladies. Amen, Pastor Phil, you're preaching good. My stomach's about where it used to be now after 10 years. Okay, so anyway... And they sacrificed their body to have a child, your child. 
And that's, that's important, and you need to be united. And as a parent and as, as a married couple, we, we said last week, Mark 3, 20, 25, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And unity is so essential for your house to stand. In parenting, we have to have a united front in front of our kids. In discipline, listen, and rewards. Discipline and rewards and training. Listen, we always present a united front for our children and we never let them divide us. Now, this can be tough when you have a blended family. When you have a blended family, the principle doesn't change. And um, I, I'm gonna speak my heart and I, I'm gonna speak my heart today in love. And, uh, but I think there's some things that need to be said and I'm gonna say it in love. But I think some people think that when they get divorced and they have kids, that they're no longer gonna communicate with their spouse. Like, that's it, I'm done. Yeah, but you're still that, those kids' parents. And you still have to parent. Come on, somebody. And now, and I, let's be honest, and, and it makes it harder. And, and I know maybe it wasn't your fault. I get it, and I, I pray for you, and I bless you. But what I'm saying is there's just this idea that if I step out, that I'm stepping out of everything. No, you're still going to be that person's dad. You still got to be that child's mom. So there's still, even though there is a blended family, there has to be a united front. And I have looked people across my desk and said, sir, I just need you to know this. That wherever you feel about this woman who you divorced is irrelevant. Now it's about your kids. And we need to have a united front for your kids' sake. And you need to put all of your, your biases aside. And, and let me, I'm going to say it because I love kids. If you use your kids as pawns in the middle of this stuff, they will pay the bill. They will, and they will be emotionally affected by what we do as parents. And we need to start to toughen up buttercup and say we are going to be responsible parents. Come on, somebody. I know some of you teenagers are in here going, okay, and then you're going like this to your parents. But wait, I'm coming for you too. I'm an equal opportunity offender. So just wait. Just wait. But you know what? We have to be and have a united Front. See, your children, listen, never allow a significant difference to develop in how you express your love and enforce discipline. Your children need both of you to be affectionate with them and both of you, listen, to discipline them. Both of you to be affectionate, both of you to discipline. Here's what happens. Sometimes you have one parent who is affectionate, very affectionate, but does not discipline. And so now you have the other spouse, you have the spouse who has to overcompensate the discipline because one of the parents won't discipline. And now you have this good cop, bad cop thing going on where let's just hypothetically speaking, you know, uh, dad is the bad cop all the time because mom is always nurturing. Mom is, oh, I love you. You're just so cute, you know, and the kid does something wrong and they're like, Harold, come over here. You're a child, right? It's always their child when the, when the kid is doing something wrong. Harold, you're a child over here. You need to discipline. Well, mom, let me, can, can I just encourage you? God has empowered you to give discipline as well. And so what happens is Harold starts to look like the bad guy all the time and doesn't have a good relationship with his son, which can set off some emotions and things that are not correct because there was a never unified front. Listen, this is so important. Write this down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, write this down. 
your child's sexual and emotional development is tied to the affection and attention they receive from both sexes. From both sexes. Now, I love, my wife's in here today and and she hears my little secrets because she doesn't know this is going on. But I love when she's correcting my son. I'm actually like in the other room, like just listening. Because the temptation can be that dad always has to do it. It's dad. Dad. Now, I love when my son hears from her. But my son needs to hear from both of us. And then let me just tell you this. Unity happens when I don't make my spouse do it by herself. And unity means that what my son does to her, listen, he does to me. So there are times if my son will speak up against her, I come out of my room and I say, hey, listen, you don't talk to your mom that way. Because what you do to her, you do to me. Because we're unified. Now, here's where things get divided. Because division happens when one parent is passive. When they're arguing and the parent just sits back and goes, hey, man, this is good. And, and God forbid you as a parent and the kid's telling the, the, the other spouse, the spouse, this, that, and, you, and you're like, yeah, agreeing with the kid and say, yeah, yeah, I told you. Can I just tell you? That's division. And we need to have a unified front. Why? Because your kids are very smart. They know when to go to mom and ask mom and then go to dad a different time. Come on. They're like Sherlock Holmes. They, they, they understand. They're, look, they're looking for the loopholes. But my church family, we have to make sure that we are not raising kids, right? That we're not raising kids that will not be corrected. And the way we need to do that is by having a unified front. But Pastor Phil, if I discipline my kid, my child may cry. They may cry, Phil. God forbid they cry. Well, I think maybe bringing some understanding to how God views discipline can help us with our kids. You know, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 says this, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his, what is that word? Correction. For whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He corrects. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son, in whom he delights. So according to the Bible, come on, write this down. According to the Bible, correcting our kids is a sign that we love our kids. If God is working in your life, if today maybe you're like, man, I came to church and my life is just not where it needs to be. And you know that there's that struggle between, oh, I want to do good and I want to do bad. Thank God you still have the struggle because here's what it means. God is still working in you. God is still correcting you. And you know what he does? He corrects the kids that he loves. That's how he looks at things. And so as we look at our kids, we have to correct them. Why? Because we love them. We love them. And we're unified. And can I just encourage you? I don't know what that means for your family. I think sometimes parents have to have a little huddle time and say, we need to start discussing. They're getting older. We need to discuss what we're both going to do. And I think so many times uh, moms and dads are just flying by the seat of their pants and there's, there's no rules. There's no structure. You need to start to talk about those things. Your kids are changing. And when, once we enforce responsibilities, right, that is a, 
a, a precursor to the, the privileges that your kid can have. And we need to start to outline those and be unified. Here's number two. As parents, we need to realize we have the greatest impact upon the formation of our children's lives. You know, as a youth pastor, I can't believe how many parents would sit in my office and say, you know what? I think your youth program stinks. And I said, okay, why? You know, my kid's been coming here for two years. Been coming here for two years. We've been dropping them off, right? I said, okay, can I ask you a question? Do you go to church? No, I don't go to church, but I've been dropping my kid off for two years here. Okay, sir. Dropping my kid off for two years here, you know, and I haven't seen any change. You know, they made one of the biggest mistakes of their life, and I don't understand. And I looked at that guy, and I said, look, number one, so you're expecting your child to do something that you don't do yourself. You're encouraging them to come to church, but you don't come to church, sir. And number three, I have your child for an hour and 15 minutes a week. You have your child for 80 to 90 plus hours a week. And it's my fault. It's my fault. And he stopped for a minute. See, in all of the research that I read, I am the pastor of this church. But can I tell you this? You are the priest and the pastors of your homes. That's right. And we come here for an hour and I'm here to pump you up. Come on, I'm like Hans and Frost, right? I come to pump you up, come to pump you up, right? You're gonna go out and you're gonna be unified with your wife, right? And that'll last for about two hours after church. You know what I'm talking about? And then, after, and then is this too real this morning? And two, you know, two hours like pumped up. You're like, telling your kid, love you. And you're gonna do this, right? Mondays comes around, right? Four cups of coffee. You're like, go ahead, do whatever you need. But I know, I, I live it too. But this time is to empower you. And the reality of it is, I hope your kids love all the teachers. I hope your kids would love our church. But at the end of the day, you have the most influence in their life. You do. They look to you. They look to you. And it's a spiritual principle that God set into motion for good. You know, the, and here's the reality. We actually reproduce what we are, not what we want. That's why I always tell people we have to work harder on ourselves. Sometimes we're just like, well, if our, our, my spouse would change, you know, then things would be better. Well, they're praying the same thing about you, that if you would change. But I got to work harder on me. Why? Because I am reproducing after my own kind. And it's a law that God placed in the earth since the beginning. Everything reproduces after its own kind. The apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. He said, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Everybody say that. Say fathers. Man, we need fathers to stand up. We need fathers to know that you are blessed by God to father your kids. Your kids need you. It says, for you do not have many fathers. For in Christ, I became your father through the gospel. Listen to verse 16. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Imitate me, Paul said. And those are huge words to be able to look at somebody and say, imitate me. Because the reality of it is, is your child's view on marriage is gonna come from what they see imitating your marriage. See what your child is going to, and how they're gonna view conflict resolution is gonna come by how they see you handle conflict resolution. You know how your child's view on racism is gonna be? How you handle racism. Come on, somebody. You know what your child's view is gonna be on about God? It's gonna be by what they see in you. You know, if your kids are going to be respectful or not, 
it's going to be how they watch your life. Their view on forgiveness, their view on diet and eating habits is what they see in you. Let me just say this. I, you know, I have parents tell me all the time, even for little kids, you know, well, just, you know, the thing about church and God, we, we just don't want to force our kids to believe certain things. And I say, you know, I think that's interesting because you're very particular about their diet, right? You, you, you've almost forced them to eat their broccoli. Come on, somebody. And cauliflower and baby carrots, right? And we, we want to make sure they have an incredible diet and we do everything we can to help them. And so we guide them in that. But then when it comes to the things of the Lord, we're going to let them figure it out. We're going to let them figure it out. A four-year-old, a five-year-old. No, my church family, it's up to us to teach and to train them in the ways of the Lord. My church family, how can your kids succeed if they don't see you succeed? And a healthy marriage is God first, you, then them. And so what's important, and let me ask this question, because your life speaks louder than your lips. Do you want your kids to be just like you? Here's the question as parents. Is the way you're living your life empowering them for success or is it confusing them and giving them something that they're gonna need to overcome later in life? And that's huge. That's huge. And let me just speak to single people. That's why as a single person, Single years is not just to wait on Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. Single years is for you to become Mr. Right and to become Mrs. Right at the time now because guess what? You're going to reproduce after your own kind. And so being single, there's purposes to getting our attitudes right, dealing with our anger, dealing with the lust problem that maybe some of us can have. Why? Do it in your single years because once you get married, those little blessings are going to look up and they're going to want to be like you. Be like you. And I'm going to tell you, as a parent, I'm not perfect. But sometimes I see behavior in my son, and it's like looking in the mirror. Come on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You don't have to raise your hands. But you look at that little, that little bus, and you go, that's me. And sometimes my wife, in love, and she's like the voice of the Holy Spirit, she reminds me that it is, is me. Yeah. That, that, that's a feel thing right there. But can I encourage you? That's how God made it. Because you could be the greatest example in their life that could set them up to succeed, that we could raise godly children. And listen, none of us in here are perfect. All of us make mistakes. But you know what I found? Parents who admit their mistakes have kids who admit their mistakes. Parents who don't forgive have kids who don't forgive. Parents who don't respect have kids that don't respect. Why? Everything reproduces after its own kind. And here's the great news. You can start today to say, God, I want, I want it to change in me. I want to be a reflection of your love. Is this good this morning? Yes. Now, I want you to know something. I'm a little passionate this morning because we don't always talk about this issue. So I think I, I want to encourage you and I want to be real with you, but I also want you to know the power of God, that your family can succeed, whether either you're a single parent, you're like, Pastor Phil, I don't even know how to be in unity. I'm a single parent right now. Listen, can I tell you, your husband is Jesus and he is in unity with you and he loves you and he's going to be with you and help you and stand with you. You are not alone today. You're not alone. 
So as parents, we realize we're the greatest impact upon the formation of our children's lives. And here's number three. Raising children is temporary. Too many parents hang on too long and they do too much for their kids. Listen, we wanna have great kids, but not at the expense of our marriage. That's not success. If we forsake our marriage for our children, it will send us into deeper despair once the children leave. I know, I don't know if you realize this, but like time, as you get older, time goes faster. I mean, I remember holding my son when he was little, right? I, I remember that. I, I, the other day he took a nap and he, he took a nap. He doesn't always do that, but he took a nap. He came out of the room and I was like, who is this kid? You just grew like two inches. Like in the last 45 minutes, I mean, now he's getting taller, right? Now he can like punch me right in the stomach. He used to before, he's like, you know, but now he's like, boom, right? When, when we wrestle and, and, we, and we play. And what I'm saying is that time is happening. You have about 18, 19 years to invest in your kids. But let me say this, not at the expense of your marriage. Because those kids are gonna move on to their own life. And what happens is then you have two people who have to get to know each other all over again because the kids were priority over the marriage. And I wanna say this again. When there is a lack of priorities, you're not helping your kids succeed. Me putting my son first because I say that I love him is not gonna teach him how to have a good marriage. He's gonna have a good marriage by watching me prioritize my wife because when he grows older, he needs to prioritize his wife. And so raising children is temporary. And here's our goal with them, is to build in them and create independence, not codependence. Independence. As they grow older, their responsibilities should grow. And let me just help you. In 20 years of youth ministry, how do you prioritize privileges for your kids? You prioritize privileges based on how well they handle responsibilities. There's, that's life. Real life is privileges equals responsibilities. Responsibilities equal, right, privileges. If you're going to have that new car, you have to be able to have the responsibility to what? Pay for the car, right? And so I don't understand this when parents talk to me and they're like, my kid, you know, is a disaster. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't make his bed, doesn't clean his room, uh, but we bought him a cell phone. Okay, so he doesn't take care of his room, doesn't take care of the bed that you gave him. Now you're going to give him a cell phone? He's showing you week, day after day that he cannot even handle making his bed. And now you're going to pay for his minutes on the phone? When should he get a cell phone? He should get a cell phone when he exerts the responsibility to be able to do that. Just because a child turns 16 or 17 doesn't mean that they deserve a car. When do they deserve a car? When they show the responsibility to be able to handle that privilege. Come on, somebody, this morning. And so as we give kids, as they get older, their responsibilities must grow. That's not being an adult. That's being an adult. Maturity has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with how you handle responsibility. And as they grow older, even if you have little guys, you know, encourage them to buy in. Hey, it's cleanup time. I'm, Daddy's not cleaning up everything. You made the mess. You helped me clean it up. What is the goal? That they clean it up by themselves, right? You put away, little buddy, what you took out. That's life, right? That's life. I got four amens on that. All right, I'm doing good. We'll change the world with four people. Put away that. You got it out. How about this one? You need to say you're sorry when you hurt somebody else. 
You know, my son, when he was little, I, I, he went just through the stage where he was mad. I, he, I think he was just jealous. I mean, you know, when he was like three, we, I would pick up another baby and he would get real mad. And, and you know, and one time he, he like pushed another kid and, and, um, and, you know, we had to teach him, you, you say you're sorry. And he wouldn't. He would just, <clears throat> See, like, you need to say, <clears throat> well, guess what? There's no privileges. Until we pass this stage right here, you ain't getting nothing. You're lucky if we feed you. Now some, now, some people don't do that. They're like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. It does matter because this is a lesson in life that he's going to have to learn that when we hurt people, we need to say we're sorry out of respect and care for other people. Life is not all about you. It's about other people. Man, I was jumping there. I think I lost like two calories. Here's, here's the big picture. The big picture is to see our children become fully functioning, self-controlled, self-disciplined adults who serve Jesus, manage their time, relationships, finances with excellence without our influence, aid, and assistance. We want them to be full-blown adults. Here's number four. Parenting takes faith. You know, don't be moved by what you see in the natural Parenting is all about sowing seeds. You're sowing seeds with your words, with your life. You're sowing into their lives. And you know what? Let's just be honest. Let's be real. Our children will make choices and decisions that are 100% in defiance of our will and our hope and our desires. They will. They make, how many of you found that out? You know, my son is seven. I'm like, oh, now you have an opinion. Before, when they were little, like we would just drag them anywhere. We're going here. We're going there. He's like, I don't want to go there. I don't like the chicken over there. Like, well, excuse me. Who gave you an opinion, right? And so now he's got, he's got an opinion. But you know, they're gonna make decisions and you have to have faith that as you do God's principles, it's gonna work out. It's gonna work out. If you do it God's way, they may stray, they're gonna make decisions, but it's gonna work out. And then here in the last couple minutes that we have together, this is the question. So what do you do when your kids make bad choices? And let me just give you eight principles real quick. Jesus told a story. In Luke chapter 15, he told the story about a father. The father represents God the Father, perfect father, loving father. And he had two sons. And one of the sons was shady. How many of you know there's always one in the family? And he was shady. And he wanted to do his own will. He goes to the father and he says, listen, I want my inheritance. Now, we may not understand that and think that's a big deal. But I'll tell you, in that culture, in Jewish culture, they only got their inheritance when the father died. So he was literally going up to his dad saying, I wish you were dead, man. I want my inheritance. And you know what the father did out of his love? He gave him the inheritance. And the Bible says that that son took off, Luke 15, 13. It says, not long after that, the younger son got all that he had, set off for a different, di distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Come on, somebody say wild living. He was the wild child. And here's number one. What do you do when kids make bad choices? Recognize that neither you nor God can override your children's will. God gave you a will. God gave me a will. This is where people struggle in theology. Everything is not God's fault. Some things you did on your own will. And it was wrong. And there are some things that your kids are going to do that are wrong because it was out of their own will. And God's never going to override your 
will. He wants you to want him because you want him. That's what true love does. I want you to notice something. And in these last six minutes, I'm gonna go a little bit deeper. I want you to know what God didn't do. God didn't stop the son from leaving. God didn't say, I'm God, you're not, you stay. And you will not go. You know, the son in his own will wanted to take off from his father's house and God let him go. See, God will let you and allow you to make wrong decisions. Now listen, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say God wants you to make wrong decisions. I said he will allow you to. Why? Because he gave you that gift. And so recognize neither you nor, your, nor God is going to override your child's will. And that's one of the most difficult things to do is to see your kid make bad decisions. But here's what we need to do. We need to release them. We need to allow them to start to make their own decision. Here's number two. We need to allow our kids to make mistakes. Now, I'm going to tell you my, my struggle with me personally. I'm a very transparent pastor. Um, I'm very, very hard on myself. Very about a lot of things. But I can take that hardness and, and translate it into my son in things that he has not really ever done. Or he makes mistakes in areas. I want you to listen to me. Look at me. He makes mistakes in areas that I did not train him. And now I'm mad at him. And in reality, it was my fault because I never trained him. And I never spent some time with him. But we need to allow our kids to fail. I'm not talking about morally and just letting your kids. But I'm talking about we tend to rescue them all the time when they're falling into a ditch. And the ditch may make an impact that lasts a lifetime. But listen, we need to allow natural consequences to happen. I can't tell you how many parents I talk to, their kids get in trouble at school. And it's always the school's fault. It's the teacher's fault. It's the principal's fault. And, and listen, I know it's an imperfect system. I'm going to say it to the screen because I really don't want, to, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's not the school's responsibility to raise your child. It's your responsibility to raise your kid. It's your responsibility. There, I wasn't looking because sometimes I say stuff and then there, you were looking right at me. I didn't mean to. It's, it's. And we want to remove the natural responsibilities, but sometimes our kids aren't going to learn like that because that's not life. Life is, there's consequences. And so when we intervene in hopes of saving them, many times we're actually handicapping our kids. We're actually handicapping them. Now I want to be there when a guide, I want to love. But I want you to know, God let him leave. And Luke 15, 14 says this, after he had spent everything, the guy spent his inheritance. There was a severe famine in the land, the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out, a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the, the, the pods of the pigs he was eating, but no one gave him anything. Now the guy's in need. Why? Because he made bad choices. He made bad choices. Now he was, spending, he was spending time with his dad and the servants. Now he's spending time with pigs. Why? Because he made bad decisions. And here's number three. What do you do when your kids make bad choices? Don't blame yourself or each other. All children go through trials. Listen, you're not a bad parent because kids and your kids make bad decisions. Can I ask you a question? Was God the father a bad parent? Because Adam messed up in the garden? Ooh, that was good. He got quiet. Because most of us would be like, God, why did you create me? 
Well, he created you because he believed you were going to do the right thing. He empowered you to make the right decision, but he loved you enough to give you your own free will to make your decision. And sometimes we don't like the bed that we have to lie in. But you know what the reality was is that we made the wrong decision. But I want to tell you, God's a great God. And the enemy is what he's going to do is he's going to use the sins of your children to divide your marriage. But here's number four, when your kids mess up, when your kids mess up, you need to love your kids unconditionally. I want you to start to notice this is how God treats us. He loves you unconditionally. I love this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. It says this, love never fails. Will you say that with me? Say, love never fails. God absolutely loves you. And listen, I'm not saying that we like everything our kids do. God doesn't like everything you do because he knows some of those things can actually hurt you. But he'll never stop loving you. He'll never leave you. Never forsake you. That father watched his kid walk out. But you know what? He didn't stop loving him. But I think most of us love conditionally. I will love you if you do what I say. And here's a commitment that I've made to my son. I will love my son unconditionally all the time, despite what he does. If in 15 years he was in jail, I would not agree what he did, but I would always love him. And that's a commitment that he has from me. He will always be loved. It doesn't mean I condone what he did. It just means that I love him. God loves the sinner. He doesn't love the sin. And I think we do a horrible job in the church of this. We want everyone to behave how we want them to behave. Why don't we start by loving people and loving them as the person? Come on, somebody. And love changes people. And let me just say, if you're new to our church, you don't have to believe what we believe to belong here. You can belong before you believe, because here's what we found out. When people belong and feel love, love never fails. And love is what changes people. Stop trying to change your kids. Just love them. Come on, somebody. That's, that's good stuff. They need a safe place where they know that they can come and talk. A safe place where, listen, if, if they don't feel home is a safe place where they can talk, they're going to go somewhere else and talk about it. And that's one thing I want my son to do. I want him always to know that he can talk to daddy. Here's number five, commit them to prayer. Prayer invites God in to intervene. You cannot parent by yourself on your own strength. Let me say that again. You cannot parent on your own strength. Those little rascals will run you wild. Come on, somebody. And if James chapter 5, verse 16 says, An earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power, has great power. In the prodigal son story, it says the son came to his senses. Listen, you know one of the reasons why he came to his senses? Because of the consequences. He was hungry. He didn't go, <laughs> he didn't go back to his dad because his dad was so great. He went back to his dad because he was hungry. And he knew that at his father's house, there was food. And the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. When people realize and look at the consequences of their life and they go, I got to be in this. Look, God has something better for me. It causes them to change their mind. So he went back home and he's like, I'm just going to be a servant. I'm not even worthy to be a son because of what I've done. And many people feel that way. Even today, you feel like, man, I'm just not worthy to be God's son or daughter because of what I've done. 
Well, let's close with this. Let's close with this. Look, look at what the father's response is because the son in verse 20, he gets up. He went back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Everybody say that with me. Say filled with compassion. Come on, as parents, let compassion move us and fill us for our kids because God's compassion is gonna move him. Watch, he ran to his son. Do you know this is the only scripture in the Bible where God actually ran and you know why he ran because the son came to his senses and repented and so the Bible says if you'll draw near to God he will draw near to you and here's number six make sure that your kids know that no mistake is unforgivable when kids feel hopelessness it drives them deeper into sin and bondage. Let me say that again. When kids feel hopelessness, it drives them deeper into sin and bondage. You don't need to be driven deeper into sin and bondage because I want you to know what Jesus did on the cross forgives you of your sin today. Here's number seven. Offer unconditional forgiveness. There's no debt to pay. This last verse in verse 22, it says, but the father said to his servants, look at the, res the, the, the response from the father. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring. A ring means that he is my son. It's the authority to be a son. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The dude came home with no shoes on. Do you know in this particular culture, slaves didn't wear shoes? So he came home and he's like, I'm gonna be a slave to this, my father, I'm gonna be a servant. And God like, you will not be a servant. You are my son. I'm going to put shoes on your feet. Look what God does. Bring the fatted calf. It's time to have a carne asada. Come on, somebody. And it's lunchtime, so I'm hurrying up. Let's have a feast. Come on, everybody say this. Say celebrate. celebrate. You know how God celebrates sinners? He gives them the best, not because they deserve it, because of his grace. And he gets the catted fat, the, the fatted calf was reserved for a, digni a dignitary that came to the house. And so as he came, he's like, we're killing the fatted calf because there's a special guest. That special guest was a son who made all the wrong decisions, had nothing to offer the father, wasted everything the father had given him. But look why he celebrates. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they begin to celebrate. My church family, I wanna end here. I believe it's so important, so important that as parents, you celebrate when your kids do things right. You need to celebrate more than you criticize. You need to celebrate way more because here's what I found. What gets rewarded gets repeated. And God celebrates a son who didn't have anything to offer him, lost everything. And here's number eight today as we close. Restore them to their rightful place. You know, a lot of parents will discipline their kids and they kind of just leave this gap where the kids walk away. They don't know how the relationship is with mom and dad anymore. They may feel guilty. They may feel like they've really messed up. It's us, it's up to us as parents to close that gap. We cannot discipline without love. You should never discipline mad or angry. But when there is that time where there is discipline 
and it's over, you need to grab your kid, your child, and wrap your arms around them and say, I love you. Come on, let's go to Mulligan's and have a great time. You're my son. You're my daughter. That's how God feels about you today. Would you give God a great round of applause for his word? Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.